Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Bantering the Blue Shirts. I am, as always, joined by my co-host, Mike Murphy. Mike, how is it going today? I am well, Tom. I have a toe injury. A toe injury? Yeah, so I was preparing my early dinner uh, with the podcast record tonight in mind, and Franklin, my cat, was waiting expectantly uh, to get a piece of chicken, because uh, I... It's some delicious chicken for dinner, and I dropped a little nugget of chicken on the floor, which normally would be great news for Franklin, but he had, like, plopped himself on my foot begging, and so the dropped chicken scared him, and so he turned and bolted and sliced my toe open with his, with his claw. So that was, uh, that's why I have a rare, it's, it's rare to have a, a band-aid on the toe. That's where I am tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So what started out as he can has a little piece of uh, uh, chicken as a treat turned into... Yeah, it turned into... Running away and... Yeah, it's a, it's an adventure, but it was fun. A um, little bit of alcohol, Band-Aid. Oh, I, this is something I've, I asked my brother the end of the day. What's the... There's a word that means like, like Band-Aid is... Technically, everything's a bandage, but Band-Aid is such a powerful brand that 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 whenever anything that's a bandage can just be called a Band-Aid. You know what I mean? Like Sharpie. It, like a permanent right. marker is a Sharpie. What's the word for that? I always forget. I mean, I it's I always sort of, I think like it's sort of just been a bandage, like an adhesive bandage. Um, I'm There's probably some technical term because if you hear the word bandage i think of like the medical wrap that you can sort of just uh wrap around and and close with a clothespin or you know gauze or something of that nature so i would just think like an adhesive bandage yeah anyway that's fun um rangers things have happened tom yes we uh we're back into the regular swing of things for games. Uh, Rangers have played three games since coming back out of the All-Star break. And they have Artemi Panarin back in the lineup. And he's been what he was before the All-Star break. And um, I'll, I'll let you um, get into the numbers. But you were, you were telling me that before the show that you wanted to sort of look at how his performance uh, ranks to uh, Yager's uh, 0506 campaign. Yeah, it's, it's very fun to look at. You know, just when Panarin hit 70 points, I was just like, Jesus, when's the last time a Ranger had 70 points? And, you know, thinking back to the best, you know, the Yager's record setting season of 123 points, as you said, no 506. That season, Tom, he was averaging 1.5 points per game is pretty good um considering it was you know it's pretty much in the modern era right uh post lockout is normally what a lot of people like in terms of the shorthand for the modern modern era of hockey and panarin 1.42 points per game tom through 50 games so not a small sample size uh, i don't care a lot about plus minus um as a stat but he's a plus 23 on a terrible hockey team <laughs> And um, it's uh, like if he stays healthy, I think a hundred's a foregone conclusion. 
which is obviously really special because to date, Tom, there's been six 100-point seasons by New York Rangers players. And before Yager had his 123 in 05-06, the next most recent were Messier and Leach both had uh, 100 point campaigns in 91 92. So this doesn't happen very often, um, despite the fact this team has been around since 1926. So, uh, very special year. It's really fun. I, I, you know, I mentioned this because you had a great piece up on the banter looking at Adam Fox and putting his production into context. And uh, also, a fun little note is. Capo Caco uh, set the record for scoring by an 18-year-old player in New York Rangers franchise history. Um, he passed Manny Malhotra, so that's fun. I know a lot of people would like him to produce more, but that was a fun little, fun little happening that uh, that occurred recently. And you know, to to go back to Panarin really quick, Tom. It's you know that what is that? It was a Dennis Green, a former NFL coach, who had that whole like he, they were who we who we thought they were in that crazy post-game meltdown. It's, that's how what I think about with Panarin is just, he was what we thought he was. He's 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 delivered on every promise. Um, and it's really fun to watch a player of his caliber, you know, just flourish. The Rangers haven't exactly put him with the best line mates in the world. It hasn't stopped him. It's just unbelievable how good he's been and how good he is. Yeah, it's hard to believe that this is just his fifth NHL season. and That too, Jesus. Yeah, you look at his production. So even the easiest way to do it is just compare it to last year. So he scored 28 goals in 79 games last year. He's up to 27 goals in just 50 games played. He had 87 points in 79 games last year. He's at 71 and 50. So he's obviously we say this because anything can happen. Um, We don't want to be superstitious. We don't want to anything of that nature, but he's on pace to have a career year for himself and a career year that the Rangers have not seen for quite some time. And, the interesting thing about Panarin, and it's it's kind of special because if you look at this team in recent years, um, and I didn't quite realize this um, in a sense. I mean, I, I feel like I kind of knew it, but it's so easy to forget. But as Kevin was doing his best Rangers of the decade, and he got to Matt Zuccarello, just looking at how many of those teams where he was the leading scorer, where like one year it was 61 points, one year it was 59 points, where we have someone that has 71 points in just 50 games. Uh, It's just simply incredible. And what is most encouraging about this is that he has 21 goals at even strength. He has 32 assists at even strength. This is not someone who's simply dining out on the power play and picking up a lot of points. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with that, because obviously you want players who are able to get it done in those five-on-four, five-on-three situations. But when you look at the ability for a player to sustain offense, seeing how they produce five-on-five, you know, best-on-best, so to speak, um, it's encouraging to see that he he ranks highly in, in that regard. And, man, you, you mentioned it that, 
he's not always been in the best situations. You wonder what it would be like if he would stay with Zabanaja the entire year or uh, someone of um, you know elite uh, potential. So that'll be interesting to follow in the years going forward as Absolutely. you mentioned Capocacco, as he develops, having them two on the line, that, that could be really amazing to watch. I just want to fast forward to that though. <laughs> like this, I knew that this year was going to be what it was, um, you know, heading into it. It's, it has held very few surprises for me other than, you know, what the developments with Leah Sanderson and, you know, some of the other things that have happened in terms of the lineup and injuries and stuff like that. But, I just, I want, don't you just want the the fun end result of the of the rebuild? Don't, like, don't you want the, to see, you know, the, the cake batter start to rise here to get a little closer? I just, I'm hoping that this year's deadline will be the last, uh, the last ingredient that's needed to put everything in place and, you know, set this great experiment into motion. But it's, it is great to see these little, little things happen. I hope that you know, Capo Caco gets a little boost of confidence. Um, and like you're saying with, you know, Panarin's five on five scoring at last, I looked, he's leading the league in it, which is just nuts, Tom, that he's that good. Um, like it is, uh, it's so fun. And I know this is, it's become like a meme of the show of us to just be like, how good is Artemi Panarin? He's just so good, but it's, it's been a fascinating season to watch him live up to, all the expectations and frankly to be worth every penny of his contract. And that is something I didn't think he would be able to do, but that's what he's been doing. I mean, say what you want. If this, if the Rangers were a playoff team, this guy's winning the heart trophy. Yeah. That's the shame of it. And yeah, it has become a bit of a meme, but the people want positivity and uh, we'll get to another form of positivity just in a second. But yeah, Panarin has 53 even strength points in second is Leon Dreisaitl, who is 49 and 52. And then in third place is Nathan McKinnon with uh, 48 even strength points in 50 games. And he's someone who, if uh, you know, if I had a vote for the, the Hart Trophy, uh, obviously I would, you know, cast a vote for Panarin. But it's a situation of, you know, the pesky playoffs. But... What McKinnon has done this year has been impressive uh, in the sense that this was a Colorado team that was without um, Kale McCarr for a bit, was without Miko Rantanen, and he's just kept on motoring along. But when you look at it from this perspective, yeah, it's uh, even more context of, of what Panarin has done where you have some of these other players in, in the tops of scoring, whether it's Dreisaitl, what he has you know, McDavid, who he plays with uh, on the team. And then you have someone like Brad Marchand and then he's teammates with David Pasternak. And it's all, all of these like duos where there's this really good player and then there's someone else helping carry the load where on the Rangers, it's really just Panarin. Um, and it's a wide margin in between. Now, granted, had Zibanejad not missed time with injury, I think that gap would be a little bit smaller. But the only person who's close to Panarin really is Ryan Strom, and he's played with him, so it's it's not a not not something else that you can count on from a a depth of a scoring perspective. Yeah, and that's 
I don't we don't I don't I know you're not saying that to uh play down Strom it's more to just put the spotlight on how great Panarin has been um and that is a frequent thing a lot of these guys who have been who've been having these huge years have that like you know they they are one part of a one-two punch and you know McKinnon had to do it uh, on his own for a while because of injuries I think he's he's my guy to win the heart um but like you I if I had a vote, I'd probably vote for Panarin, all things considered. Uh, just, it's hard to think of a guy who's been more valuable to his team and more responsible for their success, however limited that success may be, than Artemi Panarin. It's uh, It's been a really fun ride. Um, well, let's change gears, Tom, to the Adam Fox thing. Like, another, another amazing story this year. Remind, for those who haven't read your piece yet, which, if you haven't, shame on you, how good is Adam Fox doing this year? So, Adam Fox has been doing very well for himself, and it's to a level that I don't think any of us expected. I know that there was a lot of joy that was taken watching him in the preseason, and how he carried himself, and... It was a situation of we can start to see maybe there was a reason why the Rangers didn't wait, why they gave up what they did to get him out of Carolina to the point that he leaves Harvard and joins the team. So um, as of now, he's appeared in 51 games and he sits in, in 10th place in franchise history for most points by a rookie defender at 29 with um, Tom Laidlaw. And then if we're going from 1 to 9, you have Leach with 71, Rayo Rootsalainen with 56, Ron Greshner 45, Mike McEwen 43, Brady Shea 39, Michael Delzato 37, James Patrick 36, uh, Mario Marwas, uh, not exactly sure the pronunciation on that, 31, and then Sergei Zubov with 31. Um, although in Zubov's case... He didn't play a full season during his rookie year and then his his second year with the team, you know, he had, had an offensive explosion. So yeah. well it's I wasn't looking at it from a, a perspective, okay, you know, he's better he's gonna end up being better than like Sergei Zubov, but it's just you know, these this is a situation where this playing time was given and they had that availability because who knows what happens if Neil Pionk had been in more than 28 games, how high his offensive numbers could have gone. Um, and you could say the same about Ryan McDonough, whose rookie season was, I think it was 40 or 41 games without looking. But he's on pace if everything stays the same um, in terms of goals per game, assists per game, you name it, to finish with 46 points, which would place him third all time. And while that's notable, it's more notable because Fox has been more than just an offensive defenseman. And I think it would be fair to say, and this isn't a slight on him at the le- in, in any way, that he's been uh, more sheltered than some of the other rookie defenders in the league, whether it's Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr. But I, I think that a lot of people try to make that a bigger deal, but as we've seen as the season's gone on, Fox is being leaned on more. He's getting more ice time. So 
I am very interested to see how he's used in the second half of the season, even more so now that um, the defensive pairs have been sort of switched up. So, um, yeah, so thus far, it's been really good. And like like I, I said in the article, Brady Shea had a great rookie season, which continued into the playoffs, and the jury's been out over the last few years, although... I, I think Shea's had a fine season. Um, not great, not terrible. It's somewhere in between considering all the circumstances. So you keep that in the back of your head when you're looking at Fox. But so far, so good. Yeah, I'm right there with you. He's been um, he's been one of the best stories of the season. It's it, it's really interesting to, to watch the storyline of how he's become you know, the kind of the stud rookie on this team. Um, you know, I think, you know, if circumstances were a little different, we'd be talking that way about Igor Shosturkin. Um, but uh, I think everyone was expecting us to be talking this way about Capo Caco. Instead, it's, you know, it's it's Adam Fox. And, you know, to a lesser extent, I think another major success in terms of a Rangers rookie is Ryan Lindgren, um, just in terms of where he was expected to be and what, you know, what, this team thought he could become like no one was expecting him to end up on this roster, um, you know, and just because of injuries and, uh, and how things panned out, you know, Lever Hayek is, is in the, uh, in the AHL trying to, to, you know, build his game and confidence back after missing some time, Tom. And, you know, Ryan Lindgren is up here and, you know, Adam Fox is just kicking ass and taking names. It's a shame that there's, a couple other rookie D who are in the league that are also having huge years because Fox is getting a really overlooked, which is interesting considering he's playing in the New York sports market. But yeah, he is. And, right? I, I think he's being sub, like substantially overlooked and uh, under discussed by, you know, mainstream media, at least. Although one thing I noticed today is um, over at ESPN, uh, Greg Wasinski, you know, former, um, you know, editor of the Puck Daddy blog, he had Fox third in his um, Calder Trophy power rankings um, with Makar um, and Hughes uh, in, in the top two spots. Um, so it's it's interesting because it's it's sort of like from a national level, it's the the reversed uh, East Coast bias where for so many years you had players on Western teams that would either not win awards or they would finish in second, third, or they might just miss the cutoff where the top two guys are in the Western Conference, one being in Vancouver, the other being in Colorado. Um, But it's, it's so interesting to me that Fox is as much of a story as he's been when you consider D'Angelo has 40 points in 51 games and Trubo, who was, who was traded for and then extended, um, he's at a decent offensive season with 23 points in 51 games, but hasn't quite been what the team needs defensively. And yeah. I guess when you have the types of years D'Angelo and Fox are having it isn't being talked about as much because if two out of your three right-handed defensemen are by and large being a net positive, and I say it in that way because 
while D'Angelo is great offensively, he still has some shortcomings in his defensive game. But when you look at the value he brings, he will make those mistakes. But at the end of the day, it's it's a net positive. And it sort of puts them in in a in a interesting position. And I say interesting because theoretically they could just ride out the rest of the season and reassess because you have a situation where we know the left side isn't as strong. So maybe the long-term solution is they find out if one of those guys can move to the left side. And then you're able to create a scenario where, okay, a spot opens on the right side for Nils Lundqvist and everyone's happy. But uh, it's, it's interesting that we're at this point of the year and we are talking about Fox in these terms. And uh, I, I only imagine if he's able to keep this up, what it's going to be like as he gets older because he's just 21 going to turn you know 22 soon and uh it's just uh incredible that's the only thing word i can really use yeah it's his his comfort level i think i made this comment on the banter i i had high expectations for him just looking at his college numbers and just watching you know clips here and there of his play i don't get to watch as much college hockey as i'd like and you know, watching, watching the way he played at Traverse City, Tom. I was just like, this guy looks like he's playing. You know, at a at a daycare, a bunch against a bunch of toddlers. Like, he just looks so mature in this game and so advanced. And I was like, but you know what? It's Traverse City. Let's not get crazy, right? Let's not put too much too much stake in a couple games in the tournament. I don't. I'm sure. You know, I remember seeing Rangers Twitter blow up about Shesterkin having a rough outing in Traverse City and whatever, ha- whatever happened to Igor Shesterkin, Tom. Um, That's funny. I remember that. Do you remember, yeah, that like... was, it made me want to put my head through a wall. Um, but uh, like looking at Fox's development and just, he's just, I knew he was going to be good. I, I, he's further along than I thought he would be in terms of his overall game the reads he makes are really special like he has he has the ability to be to develop into a truly elite offensive defenseman who can play the right side and it's been a joy to watch this rookie campaign come together for him um i just hope he stays healthy i hope he doesn't hit that wall and uh yeah it's just been a fun ride with with fox all season long and it's you mentioned D'Angelo. It's D'Angelo hit forty points recently too. It's another little milestone that's happened, um, you know, since since the Rangers got back underway, and it's now twelve goals and twenty eight assists in fifty one games. Tom for Tony D'Angelo, fifth in the league. Not gonna be cheap. Not gonna be cheap to keep him around. But uh, I mean, you can't. You can't deny that the guy's just had an unbelievable year and good for him. Um, it's like looking historically at, you know, some some other Rangers who have hit 40 points in recent history. It's, it's kind of a short list. Um, you know, it's Ryan McDonough and, uh, you know, just in terms of guys in, in recent history specifically, it's, you know, it's 
Brian McDonough. It's Keith Yandel had uh, 47 points and in 2015-16. Uh, uh, Tom Pody. Remember Tom Pody, Tom? I do. 2002-2003, he had a 48-point year. And yeah, um, like Roosevelt had a 40-point year. And that's, that's pretty much the list. Uh, like Rangers defensemen do not since the Brian Leach era Rangers defensemen have not put up many 40 point seasons uh, with the exception of course of uh, the fantastic Ryan McDonough but that's where we are it's an interesting list when I look at the top 25 uh, because you have Carlson at number one uh, John Carlson that is with 62 points Yossi in second with 51 Petrangelo in third with 43 Hedman in fourth with 42. Then you have D'Angelo in fifth with 40. Um, your former Ranger Keith Yandel in seventh with 39 points. You have at number 16, former Ranger Neil Pionk with 33 points. And then number 25 is Adam Fox with 29 points. And just on the outside of that, looking in, is Kevin Shattenkirk with 28 points. Um, so it's quite an interesting list of names um and at some point i don't know if someone will do this and obviously it's it's there's probably an easy way to do it and i'm just overthinking it if there's sort of a way to like what what is this production in the context of last year because scoring has been so up in a way where we see these players with these gaudy point totals. Um, what would, what would the conversion factor be last year? Would this be like, you know, 30 points at this point and, you know, things of that nature. It's really not a big deal because when you're looking at these numbers, it's on a level playing field with everyone, but it just feels to me that you have some numbers here that two or three years ago would be great for a defenseman to have over an 82 game season. And it's just wild. Yeah, it is. It is wild's a good word for it, right? It's been, a. Uh, it, it might take away a little bit of magic away from D'Angelo's season, but I don't think that's going to impact him. If you know, when it comes to whether or not this goes to an arbitrator, uh, I, do, I don't see that being a problem. I just think, the year he's had, I should mention, by the way, I left one name out, Tom, in the 40-point Rangers in recent history was Michael Delzato. I left him yeah. out. He had a 41-point year. 41 points. Year. That's right. He had a 41-point year in 2011-12. Uh, but it's, in, the, in recent memory, it's D'Angelo, Roosevelt, Delzato, McDonough did it twice, and Yandel, the most productive season uh, since, the, since the lockout with a 47-point uh, campaign um, but not bad for a third pair defenseman not bad not not bad at all uh, and Keith Yandel <laughs> uh, believe it or not still quite good at the hockeys um, who would have guessed but the other thing that's interesting to me here Tom which kind of fits into um, you know what, what you're saying about the scoring being so high is you know since you know the 05-06 season you know which has come up a couple times now talking about Yagers here and you know, the modern modern era in the post-lockout hockey. The most goals in the season by a Rangers D was McDonough with in 2013-14. He had a 14-goal year. D'Angelo is at 12 right now. So that really does put things into context that, you know, he's just, he has too fewer goals and 
you know, 26 fewer games. It's been a special, special year for Tony D. Yeah, and when you look at goal scoring by defensemen, he's seventh in the league with 12. The uh, the leaders are Zach Rowenski with 15, and then Dougie Hamilton and Roman Yossi with 14 apiece, and then you have a couple people tied uh, at 13, and then D'Angelo. So if he pots in a few more goals, and he could be among the league leaders in that regard. And it's, uh, like I said before, the, the word is just wild because who would have thunk that D'Angelo would have this big of an offensive explosion? Um, I mean, I, we the signs were there, but to be top five in the league, that's, that's I nuts. don't think anyone expected that. And you, if you think high-scoring defensemen cost a lot of money uh, to re-sign and get in free agency, I assure you that defensemen who score goals uh, historically have gotten pretty fat checks written to them. So it'll be really worth keeping an eye on on this goal total that D'Angelo ends up with because it, one way or another, it's going to shape his future. Um, and, you know, depending on what his next contract looks like and whether or not that contract is with the Rangers because he is one of those guys where it's not easy to fit him in. Uh, it's not easy to fit in Ryan Strom even on like a, you know, a one-year deal. Um, you know, the Rangers do have to think long and hard about where their money goes. And, I mean, watching the way D'Angelo has played this year and what he's been able to contribute, I think I'd make that a pretty big priority uh, right after, you know, making sure you execute well on the uh, on deadline day. But speaking of people getting paid time we need to do an ad break just like that we are uh back from the break and uh the deadline is slowly but surely approaching uh 20 20 days away well 19 when you're listening to this uh february 24th at the uh the stroke of 3 p.m eastern um and tomorrow Tonight, if you're listening to this, wanted to release game versus the Toronto Maple Leafs is, I think in many ways, and you feel free to disagree, is really going to be that final line in the sand. Um, going back before All-Star break, I know it was on the 31 Thoughts podcast, Elliot Friedman was talking about the Rangers as one of those teams along with Florida, Montreal, um, to a lesser extent, Buffalo, who were in this wait and see holding pattern where they want to see what happens coming out of the all-star break. And part of the reason that made sense for the Rangers, um, not in my opinion, makes sense, but I I could see where their logic was. They had back-to-back games against Detroit. So they figured, well, that's four points we can just add to our uh, our standing and we win those two games we'll be in tip-top shape and we'll still be in in the thick of things but that's not the case um there's games that are being played tonight there's a lengthy schedule of games where monday only had three um somehow the nhl doesn't really know how to schedule games so that people can watch them but you know that's neither here nor there uh Rangers sit with 54 points and you have you have a lot in front of them. You have 
The two wild card spots occupied by Philadelphia, 65 points, and then the Islanders with 64 points. But the problem is third place in the Metro, the Columbus Blue Jackets, they also have 65 points. So right there, just before we even bring up the teams on the outside looking in, you have three teams that are rotating in and out of third place in the division, wild card spot one, wild card spot two, uh, and then, you know, in the words of the late Billy Mays, but wait, there's more. Carolina Hurricanes, 63 points. They're they're scratching and clawing. Uh, and then the Toronto Maple Leafs, who the Rangers play, 63 points. And then the Florida Panthers, 63 points in third place of the Atlantic Division. Uh, I know I said a lot of the names of teams, and I knew a lot of numbers out there, but the TLDR, or I guess in the, you know, TLDL in this case. Too long didn't listen. I see what you did yeah. there. There's a lot of shit in the Rangers' way, and even if they are going to pick up ground, it assumes that everyone ahead of them is going to lose. So I don't see it. I have never seen it. So it's I am already agreeing with you. It's it's such a it's such an uphill battle for this team. Um given all given all of its warts and flaws, given the fact that you know we're saving some of the uh the Kreider discussion um for uh you know with with the Q&A following this, but like we know eight teams have, have told the Rangers Chris Kreider's at the top of their list. It just the the Rangers should not find themselves tempted to go for it. There's just too much ahead of them, and the teams that are ahead of them, like Toronto, is better than their record. Carolina's better than you know, better than the record. Carolina is like the problem for Carolina is that the Atlantic Division is what it is, and Carolina is thirty nineteen and three. Uh, you know, they, they're they very good at hockey, um, especially compared to the Rangers. And they've played one more game than the Rangers. They have the same amount of goals and um, significantly fewer goals against, um, which translates to a vastly superior goal differential. Right now, the Rangers are sitting at a zero goal differential, which I think is a revealing number, even though it's, you know, very shallow in terms of statistical analysis. For a team that has an offense that is really fun and exciting and you know can score four or five goals in a game, Tom, this team also, despite goaltending being one of its greatest strengths, unanimously considered one of its greatest strengths, this team just bleeds goals um, because of defensive breakdowns. And they just, it's way too much ground to, to you know, to overcome. And uh, like, I, think the Sabres have a better chance uh, than the Rangers and I I think that speaks volumes personally. They're the definition of I think of the charts that uh, Sean Tierney shares on a daily basis. We may win, we may die. <laughs> yeah. 2019-20 New York Rangers. Yeah, it's things either go so well or so poorly. There's very little middle ground. Um, which is so funny because, I don't, although this might not be directly correlated, but thinking of all the one-goal games from last season, Tom, and thinking about this team this season, it just feels like this season is much more black and white in terms of the results of games. The Rangers just look like terrible, or they look great. Like, there's no... 
there's no middle ground there. They're just one or the other. And unfortunately for them, more often than not, it's it's a team that loses hockey games. And um, like I know, uh, in the most recent game against Dallas, uh, the Rangers looked really, really good at 5-on-5. Five five. They got off to a good start. But of course, that game was kind of determined by penalties and power play goals for both teams. And then, you know, Buchnevich gets gets benched after scoring a goal and he you know he makes a mistake uh and david quinn i think after the game quinn's comments about him were really surprising to me he just said like he didn't like anything about bujanovic's game um which i thought was a strong choice of uh, strong choice of words for a guy who just seems to need to have a scapegoat i think we can comfortably say that now right like he just he's one of those coaches he just needs he needs a you know someone to put Someone to put under the the spotlight and turn the heat up on. Uh, yeah, and like it's hard because I fully admit that I am a Pavel Buchnevich stan, um, and it's it's hard at times because it seems like I'm making um, excuses for him or trying to be like a hype man for him and all of those things. Um, and I can understand why people feel that way. And I think that whether people admit it or not, that exists for almost every player on this team. There are, are some people that they have a soft spot for or they rationalize for. And I get it. And this case, it's interesting because and even you know the the rangers have a um stats and information account that tweets out information you know um during the game or during off days of of, of important trends and he scores last night and it goes you know Buchnevich has scored a goal in 3 of the last 4 games and recorded a point in 7 of the last 12 four goals three assists so on a surface level that's some pretty good um information it's it's showing that he's produced and he had a a rough go of it um in december and you know parts of, of january and quinn himself admitted it but he had said you know bujanovic has been generating chances um he believes in him all of the things that you want to hear from a coach but it's interesting that they have a rough game last night and obviously it's two power play goals uh against making um a big difference early on but it's it's not like Buchnevich was the only player who played poorly last night and this doesn't um this doesn't include last night's game I haven't had a chance to update it yet but basically one of the those charts that Sean um tweets out every so often he's sort of looking at the Rangers since January. So since January 1st, they've been a break-even team. So I was like, all right, let me look at the forwards and, and defensemen. So among forwards, you have, let's see, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, so eight players. So this is total team. Uh, Bucinevich is eighth in scoring with six points, has a, um, a goals four of 54-6-1, Corsi four fifty six two seven and he expected goals at fifty six eight two. So his underlying metrics have been good, and his PDO is ninety nine point three six. So he's been, um, he's been a 
about what he is. He's not riding a super high shooting percentage. He's not benefiting from outworldly goaltending. He's been decent. And I I get it. People saw that um he had a good season last year. It was a what was it, twenty one goals, I think, but he was more than twenty goals. Um so they thought, okay, this is the year of Buchnevich is going to be a scorer. But um throughout his career he's been more of a playmaker. And I was actually working on a story that um I was going to release during the bye week, but I figured it might make more sense to have a whole season sample of a lot of times people go, okay, you can cite all these underlying metrics, but what do they actually mean? So I've been looking, um, using the um, event viewer at Evolving Hockey, um, shots by Buchnevich that have gone in, shots that have missed, um, shots that have been blocked, so just pretty much seeing what he does on the ice to see how he's effective as a player or ineffective. Um, but I guess the long story short is, yeah, uh, I'm not surprised that he was the one singled out, but he'll have an opportunity against Toronto. He's either going to be on the first line or the, the third line. It depends on, um, I guess if Kreider's back in the lineup who, which we, we haven't mentioned yet, but, um, he had taken a knee to the head from Zibanejad accidentally. So he's, uh, he, he missed the last game and uh, he's going to be a game time decision for tomorrow. Yeah, that was a spooky one. Like it was Mika trying to hurdle over Krads who was, who was down and it was just one of those things where like his knee just caught flush on the side of Crider's head and immediately you have the concerns you have. It's been called an upper body injury. Um, the, the most recent word I heard on that was Quinn calling it a uh, day to day. Um, and you know, it is what it is. Uh, just a freak hockey thing that it also kind of serves as a as a memory, Tom, of why some teams shut guys down uh, when the trade deadline, you know, gets starts to get a little closer. Obviously, shutting Kreider down now would have been, you know, if, if the injury didn't happen, would have been, like, overly cautious to the point of ridicule. But, um, I mean, this is why teams do it. Uh, you never know. And... When the future of your franchise is involved, you want to be careful. But uh, I don't know. Was there was there anything else you wanted to cover for the flagship here, buddy? Um, one just final thing because it's interesting that you bring up the the concept of shutting players down. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rangers play the Leafs, and Shishurkin's going to get the start, not uh Alexander Gorgiev, which is kind of interesting, but very interesting. I wonder if. Freddie Anderson's injured right now, I think. Yeah, and uh, Michael Hutchinson's going to start for the Leafs, and he uh, he came in for Anderson last night, and the uh, the Leafs had a very bad third period. They uh, they blew a multi goal lead, and um, yeah, that's something interesting to watch. Um, as we're recording the show in our um, banner Slack, people have have shared. Um, that uh, Jeremy Bracco was a scratch tonight for the Marlies. I know he's someone that um, he's from. Is he from New York? I think Jeremy Bracco. He's, I thought he was a Long Island boy, wasn't he? Yeah, 
but someone that I think has been brought up a couple of times um, by, uh, what do you call it? Um, you know, people in various trade proposals, yeah, but yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll see if there's anything to that, but a man you know. has it New York, Tommy. Oh, okay. We'll see. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I think that'll do it for the flagship this week. I wanted to say a special thank you as always to our patrons, Adam Nahoek, Aiden Gaspar, Alex Ald, Tom. Last week was Jeff Waywitka. This week, Alex Ald, former goaltender. God, if you ask me how many minutes Alex Ald played as a Ranger, I'd have a hard time telling you. Uh, Amriel <laughs> Kistner, Andre Chicagov, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Ben, Pierney, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Captain America, Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas, Chris Marco, Trignano, Chris O'Connor, Clark Carroll, Craig Lachlan, Daniel DeGen, Danny Santiago, David L. Singer, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, George Littman, Goth Tom 2020, uh, the only president I want to vote for, Igor Zlazowski, James Dangles, Jermaine Francis, John Rappi, Jordan Sassone, Keith Franchillo, Kush Tastic, Kyle Napolitano, Michael Canick, Michael, Marco, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Panarin 2020, Patrick Landholt, Perennial Powerhouse, Stig Gilback, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. And a little note to our patrons, I just sent out another wave of mugs uh, while we were doing uh, preparing for the show. So if you're someone who is owed a mug, uh, including our t- two patrons who are in Switzerland and Germany, mugs are, mugs are on the way uh, across the Atlantic Ocean. So uh, keep, keep an eye out. Maybe... Who knows how long the shipping will take? Maybe two weeks? I don't know. Mugs are coming. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's, I know there were some topics, you know, maybe that we didn't cover on this, but we, um, we purposely saved them for the mailbag because I know in, um, recent weeks we've had, we've talked about topics at length on the main show and then they come up in the, um, the mailbag and then we go, well, we kind of talked about it on the main show, but yada, yada, yada. So we, uh, We'll get into a little bit more detail, you know, whether it's a Kreider extension, a Kreider trade, uh, you know, all of that and more will uh, come up on uh, Off the Post. Yeah, sounds good, buddy. And with that, uh, we will uh, speak to you again soon. Uh, take care, everyone. Bye-bye.